Welcome to the Rogue Bogues podcast. You know who we are. No need for introductions. Pro, what's going on? Bogues, is that, you sure they know who the fuck we are? You, yo, I mean, let's hope. It's sometimes it's, I think we're, we're going into a one-way mic here. Yeah, it's episode 66, so I'm, I, I'm guessing well, we're getting close to 10,000 uh, within within two weeks of, of posting. So first week we get, you know, six, seven, eight thousand, and then peaks at about 10, so not, not too bad. Folks, I'm out in L.A. here, I told you, and, you know, it's a different fucking world out here, dude. I went food shopping today, and uh, I'm fucking in the cereal aisle, of course, because that's what all fat people go, and... I got a pick, a box of Fruity Pebbles with a Nike logo on it. So Nike is officially sponsoring uh, Fruity Pebbles and cereal. What? Yeah. Now, I'll tell you what. I heard a little side story that Adidas came to them and they said, hey, Fred Flintstone, do you want to, you know, you want Adidas logo on there? He goes, nah, we heard Liz Cambridge is an Adidas athlete, so yabba dabba fuck no, we're not going to fucking <laughs> with, with them. We're going to Nike. Team Nigeria, baby. Wow. Yeah. Solid backstory. It's, 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 it's somewhat believable, but Nike sponsoring high sugar cereals uh, is very, very interesting, Pro. Well, I, I support Nike as far as wearing their product because A, it's the only thing that fits me, and B, now they're their fucking their logos on cereal. How be, how great is that? Two in one for you. Beautiful. Yeah, two in one. Yeah. Beautiful. So, beautiful. Not a lot going on here, pro. We we just had an election yesterday, so. Oh yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> uh, it went all right. I mean, it's pretty predictable what was going to happen. Now our our kind of prime minister at the time got got taken out. He's gone, and we've got a. Uh, in my opinion, a Biden light. So it'll be a fun, be a fun ride. There'll be a lot of great content coming the next couple of years from this fellow, I reckon. But um, yeah, you, I think from it, you, huh? From you? No, no not oh, you. It's, it's gonna be great. Yeah, I love it. It's it's great for content creators because he'll uh, he'll make a gaff a week. Um, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. Just just our voting is a little bit different than than you guys over there. So it's mandatory to vote here, or they fine you, which is interesting. Um, and. Yeah, all done. So we'll see. We'll see what direction we're going. I anticipate a lot more taxes coming in and a lot more uh, expensive cost of living, uh, much similar to what's going over going on over there in your neck of the woods, pro. So we'll watch that space. But enough politics. Let's let's move on to the basketball. Let's wrap up. I want to wrap up both game sevens because we um, we obviously had the opportunity to talk about them pre the games, and then you know um, now we can talk about it post. But Dallas Phoenix. Pro got this one right. You picked uh, you picked Dallas for the series. Um, you had it at four two. I had Phoenix at four three. Obviously, if it was going seven, we both we both agreed it'd probably go to Phoenix. But gee, we, like I, no one saw this coming. Um, the <laughs> the blowout in Game Seven was was beyond shocking to me. Um, I, usually, these games are you know Game Seven grind. It's it's kind of a lower scoring game, but Dallas just came out and beat the shit out of Phoenix and. They, they they punched them early and Phoenix just didn't have anything to punch back. It was kind of you you I don't know if you're watching the game like me, like waiting. Like like when's the punch gonna come? When's the punch? And then you you look at the halftime score, what was it, fifty seven to 20, 20 something? And you're like, there's no punch coming. Like they have they have nothing in the tank at all. Um so much so that the Suns fans were booing them and, and leaving early, which is this is a game seven of a conference semifinals and, and the fans were bailing on their team. It was a horrendous performance. 
Would you put it down to Phoenix just being horrible or Dallas being that good or a mix of both? I think a mix of both, Bogues. I mean, I sort of saw – I didn't see that coming, of course. I don't think anybody did as far as the, the point spread. But I think that you saw – that it was trickling in in some of these games in the series that, again, like Phoenix would hit them with hard punches. And you think they were, you know, all right, it's finally coming. Phoenix is going to come. I'm talking about in the series on game seven. And then, but like Dallas always answered the bell and, you know, it just, they, they never really had that great game that you're like, yeah, Phoenix Suns, like, okay, going next step. I always thought that Dallas was going to take it. And, you know, Chris Paul just had a terrible, I mean, a terrible end of these series, like the last four or five games. I mean, he was, he was not like himself, and I mean, they needed him. I mean, look, as good as Booker is, as good as uh, Aiton is, they needed him, and they needed him to step up, and he didn't do it. And look, nothing against him. People are yeah, allowed well, to Suns, have that series. We saw who the Suns were pre-Chris Paul, right? You know, no one no one had them being this good this quickly. So Chris Paul, was amazing. you make a valid point there. But, um, yeah, just a, just a crazy series. I mean, Luca, Luca, Luca for this series, it, you know, 32, 10, and 7, uh, a night, remember, uh, yeah, 34% from the, um, the three, 47% from the field. He actually averaged 2.1 steals in this series, Pro, which um, which I saw I had to kind of take a double take. We're like, what? Is that is that is that real? But yeah, I mean, he's, a, he's not a fantastic defender, but he's a smart defender and he's got a high basketball IQ, so he fell into a lot of those. Brunson, Brunson was pretty solid um, for them. First couple of games he struggled and I remember there was a lot of, um, a lot of backlash around you know, Utah didn't have any size to guard uh, Brunson. That's why he dominated, <clears throat> excuse me, and and that Phoenix all of a sudden have size. Brunson can't play like that again. Well, you know, the last the last five-odd games he did after a slow start. Dinwiddie was my kind of X factor. Um, I kind of said, you know, if, if he has a big game, they can steal seven, but he's got to be he's gotta be that guy that gives them another scoring option, and he had 30 in game seven. So that came true. I mean, for Phoenix, <clears throat> Booker 23, 23.4, 4.6 assists, but four turnovers a night. Aiden was probably their next best with 15.7 and 8.1 rebounds. Chris Paul, as you mentioned, his numbers were probably his worst playoff perform- series performance um, from end to end, 13.4 a night, 5.7 assists and 3.1 turnovers. You, you don't often see a two-to-one turnover ratio with, you know, with Chris Paul. So that was that was big. Crowder found his three ball in this series. Um, he was really the only shining light after I think he shot less than 10% in the first round. He averaged 11 points on 43% from three after, you know, he couldn't throw it in the ocean in the first round. Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges all but disappeared uh, for most of the series. They were, I don't know what was going on there. They were all over the place. But um, yeah, just I, I just thought there'd be a bit more fight. You got to give credit to Dallas because I think they just they just had that belief. Uh, they they continued to you know sustain the runs in numerous games when they were probably could have lost the game here or there. They kept it close, and then you know, and then in Game Seven, it was it was all she wrote. But um, impressive performance by the Mavs. Yeah, defensively, of course, especially uh, they were so good with Dorian Finney Smith and Kleber. I mean, those two guys are. You know, they just allow them to guard almost anybody. And they just played, they played a great game. They don't really have a great shot blocker. I guess Kleber's the best shot blocking uh, shot blocker for their team, but they just did a great job defensively. They moved the ball, they made perimeter shots, they attacked the basket. You know, Lucas, you know, I think Lucas is the best player in the game now. Like it was neck and neck, in my opinion, with him and Durant. 
And as far as the age and what they can do, I'm not talking about MVP. No, no, I'm talking about Durant. As far as like player, like um, overall. Yeah, not MVP. Like the, I understand what the games missed and all that stuff, but as far as overall player that I want one guy that's going to get me baskets, you know, that those two guys are neck and neck and what he's been doing now building throughout the playoffs. I think it's, he's sort of, in my opinion, the best player in, in basketball, but it's, it's close of course, but I mean, he's, that series was great. I mean, he's, the play, I mean, the whole playoffs, he's been carrying him, you know, outside of the games that he's hurting in Utah. But yeah, he's just a fun player to watch. And just he's one of those guys that could put you in position to win because of his passing, his playmaking, and his scoring. There's not a lot of players that could sort of do that. Now, defensively, he lacks, but you know, where he lacks defensively, offensively, and ability to make big shots and big plays and, and also pass the ball is uh it's pretty impressive, man. And like you said, Bridges, I expected more out of Bridges than anybody else. Cam Johnson, I could see if Cam Johnson was going to struggle, you know, at, at time, you know, for one reason or another. But I thought Bridges was going to show more. Of course, Chris Paul is the big talk that, you know, and um, it was a big talk as far as what he didn't do in the playoffs. But I thought, uh, uh, you know, I thought Bridges was going to show up more, especially somebody who just signed a deal with like twenty plus million dollars a year that he would he would show up. That with. and he was he was I mean, the conversation around having him in Defensive Player of the Year, I think, Luca exposed that right. Like, they couldn't even you know, he, I mean, and and Luca's doing that to most people. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, but that was Bridges' opportunity to solidify that. Hey, I, I should have been more, you know, probably in that top two, three for Defensive Player of the Year. I didn't get it, but he had his opportunity and, and squandered it. They just. They just couldn't get it together, and, and and it was just it was just a shame to see them go out like that because it just I think they quit. And and moving on to that was, you know, reports that DeAndre Aiden and Monty Williams got into a. Did you did you hear about this and read about this? I did not. This is the first I've I've heard of it. I have yeah, so apparently the um, I don't know what they were down in the third or fourth quarter. I think it would have been probably would have been late in the third, early in the fourth. So Dayton had come out, um, got subbed out, and he wasn't too happy. And then I guess they're down, what are they down, 30 or 40 at that point. And the reports say that Monty Williams asked um, Dayton, uh, asked him to go back in the game, uh, Dondre Aiden, sorry, and he, he said no. Um, and that's all she wrote. There were rumors from some people sitting courtside that Monty Williams said, are you really, are you really quitting on me right now? Um, you quit on me, man. I can't believe it. You quit on me. And they had some back and forths. And it, you know, the, he was asked about, Kind of that interaction uh, in a post post game uh, press conference, and just said that um, gave a pretty stern fatherly type. That's that's internal. Um, so why I bring this up is because I think that there was a bit of that. Um, you know, I think Aiden had some games where you felt like he probably should have got more touches. Probably should have they should have went down to him a little bit more because he had some games where he was really playing well and finishing down there. And Dallas didn't really have an answer because you know they switched one through five. So if you found Dayton. Yeah, if you found Dayton down there, he was doing something good with it. But the question is around the extension, right? So he's up for that big extension. Phoenix um, obviously didn't extend him when they could have last season, right? Last off season. Do you think? Do you think he hangs around? Do you think they fix this? I mean, Monty Williams seems like a kind of he has a history of being a pretty hard nosed, stubborn guy to an extent, um, like disciplinarian. But also, I think if anyone can salvage this, it would be him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bogues, I think that, and, and I'd love your insight on it because, look, you've been in these things way more than I have. Um, 
But like, look, everybody gets a little bit emotional at, at the end of games like this, end of series like this, and especially how it finished up for those guys in game seven. Um, it, no one's happy. Everybody's a little bit on edge. Everybody's pissed. And I could see that sort of happening. First of all, you know, eight and sitting there, you're down 35 or 40. Your coach asks you to go in the game. Like, come on, man. Like, like no. Like, look, in, in a perfect world, we're talking about, you know, all that stuff. All oh, you want everybody to compete for 48 minutes. Doesn't matter. Never give up, blah, blah, blah. I get it. We've all seen enough, you know, seen enough movies, you know, to feel good stories and Rudy and stuff to say never quit and all that. But sometimes as a player, and, and again, I'd like your, you know, your idea about that. Like, sometimes you're like, come on, man. It's not like it's a second quarter. We're down 35. It's, you know, deep in the game or whatnot. And I understand why Monty Williams would be pissed at, at him like that. Now, as a coach, I think you have to, you got to sort of think of it how they would react, right? As a performing player, he would know himself. Like, if a coach asked him down 40 or whatever, you know, come on, like you understand why he would probably say no if it, depending on when he asked him. I don't know exactly when the game he asked, but, you know, that aside, the contract part. Yeah, they didn't extend it last year. I get it. They were trying to fill it out. And look, this is what they're doing. They're using every one of their rights as a team to fill this stuff out, not to give the contract early, to figure some things out. But they could always come back to it. Look, at the end of the day, it's their player, their rights, right? They could still give eight more than any other team. So now they could just come back this summer and be like, all right, let's get this contract done and we're good to go. We'll give you whatever it's going to cost. As everybody sees, if Chris Paul is showing age and this is going to decline, which we know at some point it was going to, you can't just have Booker, Crowder, Cam Johnson, Bridges going forward. You need Aiden. As much as bigs aren't, you know, aren't valued these days in the league, he's a huge value to them. He's like a David Robinson type. And at times you can see how dominating he is. I don't think he's a top five or top 10 player, but they, I mean, I know there are tempers and, you know, everybody's got a little bit of feelings right now as far as what happened. But I think that, I think everything's going to be fine. You know, once you walk away for a little bit, come back to it. Look, they've got till July, right? So right now for the next, you know, few weeks, they can like calm it down. He can go to some Caribbean island and chill. And then they can come back to things and be like, all right, look, things got fucked up. We need each other going forward. Everybody's together. Look, Dallas is coming up. Golden State's obviously there. We're right in the mix in the West here. Let's keep it together. We're good to go. You know, let's put it aside and, and go forward. Folks, what do you think about if a coach comes up to you in that situation? What would you do as a player? You know, what would what would your thought process and answer be and, and something like that? It's a hard one. I've, I've seen, you know, in regular season games, I've seen coaches come uh, kind of to the, towards the end of the bench if we're down 30 or up 30 on numerous teams and kind of ask a veteran, like a, say a vet that hasn't got in the game, um, hey, do you want to get in the game for the last five minutes? You know, out of, it's usually a respect thing. You don't put veterans in in garbage time, but this is kind of different. It's game seven. I guess Monty probably thought that you know, even though they weren't, but probably thought we're still in this. If we can just get it down to twenty by by you know whatever, right? Whatever the thinking is on that, I, I don't agree with it. Um, in, in a game seven, I just think the the um, the moment and everything's just it's just we're going to be talking about it like people are now and i think that's what it just accelerates that if this is a regular season game i don't think anyone cares as much um but i think it i don't think it stems simply from them being down and him saying like oh we're out anyway i'm not going to go play i think it was the little back and forth they had previously to that 
had then led to a continuous back and forth. So I don't agree with it. I think, you know, and I think it just for Aiden, I think it's just going to be something now he's going to think about in the summer. Like you never want to, you never want to hear from your coach that you quit on the team. That's probably, that's probably the worst thing you can hear, right? You can. So Ben Simmons is almost. Yeah, yeah, but like you, you can you can motherfuck me. You can you can say I'm playing like shit. You can say I need more. What are you doing? You're horrible today. But they're all not as bad as someone saying you quit on us. I think that's that's. I don't know if you'd agree. That's the worst thing you can hear as a player um, from a coach. Um, so I think that's going to eat at eight in this off season. I think he's got some some work to do on that. But you know, it's a mistake. Like he's young. Um, Game seven, a lot of pressure. Their fans booing him. It's not an excuse, but we react all react differently. And I think he just reacted poorly. He'd probably take it back if he can. But yeah, I'm just wondering if I, I doubt it affects his his uh, contract status. But I think they need him. I, I agree with you. I think look, he's a system orientated player, and he, he suits that system very well. But you know that if they can get that young core, um, my question is what they do with CP3. You know, like I don't I don't think this is this is going to be more of the norm for him. You know, he's 37, 38, with a couple of years left on a big deal. I don't think they can expect him to be 35-minute CP3. Like, I think, you know, 25 minutes during the regular season, uh, his numbers are definitely going to go down. Can you count on him in the playoffs in a game seven, in, in a seven-game series, a grind-out series? And that's the question they've got now. Like, what do you what do you do with that? Um the answer is this is what you've got. This is what you've built. You can't really – you don't have much flexibility now with your cap, especially if you if you sign Aiden. So they're pushing all the chips to the table and hoping to get a chip. And this was supposed to be their year. You know, I picked them. I thought they'd, I thought they'd take that next step because I thought they were, you know, they were, they were the best regular season team by far. You know, there's the stat about when they're up in the fourth, they, they were 62, whatever they were, 61 and 0 or some shit when they're up in the fourth quarter, start of the fourth quarter. Like everything was, all the stats were pointing towards this is their chance and they squandered it completely. And you give credit to Dallas, they stole it. So I'm interested to see what they do long term. I mean, I still think they they probably need a couple more veterans around or, or, or some some kind of, not, not veterans, but someone – Veterans in the context of they've been around the league, they'll come in and understand their role. Not a veteran as far as locker room because I think they're okay there. So I think they need, you know, a, maybe a the fringe third option for scoring just because I think that CP3 scoring is going to dry up for them. Yes, they've got Booker. He even struggled in that game seven. But I think they need one more piece. Um, I'm not saying a big three, big four type, but that someone, <clears throat> you know, someone like what Wiggins is doing for <clears> – <throat> For Golden State, someone like that, they're just happy to play their role, be another defender, can knock down a three, can bring different things, maybe a bit more offensively inclined than defense. I don't know, but that's what I think they're missing moving forward. But um, I think they their core still decent, and you gotta you gotta you gotta roll it back. I mean, they they, they almost got there. Yeah, and with CP salary, look, he, he goes to twenty eight four next year. And then he's got two more years at thirty point eight and thirty, but he's the, he's only partially guaranteed. In 23-24, 15.8 out of his 30 is uh, is is guaranteed, and then he's non-guaranteed in 2024-25. To be honest, I, I don't think they should sort of be panicking right now and just trying to dump CP or anything like that. Because, look, I think, in my opinion, again, I'd like your opinion before. I know we're spending a lot of time on this series, but, like, I don't I don't think that because of one bad playoff series and I mean one pathetically bad playoff series, he was very bad. All right. And no offense to him, but it's just his game evaluating, it was very bad. 
But do you say that it's over because of one series? Are you like, look, guy had a bad series. I don't, first of all, I don't believe that he was hurt, like Mark Spears and all that stuff about him being hurt. I feel as though that it just was a bad series and they want to use that as an, you know, sort of an excuse. But like, I don't think I would be in panic button mode. Like their roster as it is, Bogues, I mean, you go with CP, Booker, Bridges, Crowder, Aiton, right? And then coming off the bench with Cam Johnson, you know, with with McGee, Johnson, Shamit, you got campaign. There's really not a lot of room there, you know, because I don't think they're going to move CP. I think they're going to stay there. You know, maybe guys sign up for the minimum or partially, uh, you know, with their salary cap situation, probably uh, the taxpayer mid-level. In my, I don't know the whole numbers. So maybe they're not a taxpayer, but, you know, using some of the mid-level to sign somebody. But I think they're in good shape. I just think that Dallas came at him hard and it was a tough series for him. I mean, the one thing, unlike Milwaukee, and we'll talk about the Bucks in a minute, like they weren't missing anybody. That was the problem for me. Like I could see why Milwaukee, you know, fell short against Boston because they were missing an all-star player. They weren't missing anybody and they ran through the playoffs. Like, like I'll run through a sleeve of fucking Oreo cookies. They ran through the regular season and, you know, Phoenix, and you thought that they were going to, you know, do better with this and, and make the conference final. But um, I'm not going to press the panic button. I'm going to re-sign Aiden. I'm going to go forward. They can draw, you know, I think Monty Williams made a mistake if he did say that in public that he quit on him. I don't care what situation it is. You always got to like look at the optics and figure out what you're doing there. And you can't be saying things like that. Like I remember I, you know, I mistakenly called because I mistakenly called the player fool and rod. I called the player a bitch when I was in Dallas. And I thought that player, because I was very close to him, and I thought he was going to rip my fucking lungs out. I made a mistake. I thought we were joking around. I thought it was the wrong car, you know, the right car, because nobody was there. It was just like a couple of guys working out, shooting. We were just joking around. And you know how I go at players. Same thing. Like, I made a mistake. I totally apologized for it right away. You know, there's, there's tomfoolery, and then there's things that you fuck up on. And I fucked up on that one. Monty Williams totally fucked up. If that was the case... He totally fucked up because you don't tell a player that's been with you all the the whole year and been with you for two years and been, you know, a really good player and has been a, a really good guy. You don't tell him he quit on you. I mean, come on. I mean, I understand it's a big stage. You're getting embarrassed. I get it. But it, it's not like that guy laid down. That guy played his fucking ass off. He didn't anything but quit on you. And I don't think you say that in that situation, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and like we said, it's reactionary with a bad performance, so it goes without saying. Right, Milwaukee, Boston, you had this 4-2. I had it 4-3 for Boston and a stupidly flipped mid-series pro um, with our little segment a couple of weeks ago where it was you could you could jump ship, and I did. And I look like a genius because I flipped it 2-2 and then Milwaukee win game five on the road, and I'm like, oh, I got this one right. I got this one right, and uh, I didn't. So <laughs> we've got, we got our little friend on social media that's a Boston crony railing me for it. Um, but I thought I thought Giannis was just playing out of his, out of his mind. But you give credit to Boston, man. They 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 took that over. Um, Grant motherfucking Williams, man. I mean, seven for 18 from three to close them out. I mean, it's just, you know, just absolutely crazy numbers. Um, he shot 18 threes. To, to go with 27 points, but they were they were just they were well rounded. Um, they never really seemed in a panic. I thought at times they, you know, in that series there was a bit of coasting at times, but it, they never were really overly panicked. Um, I don't know if that's a testament to 
you know, how, how good they are, to, how, how they know we're, we're good defensively. We've got scoring weapons. Um, Tatum was 27.6, 6.3 and 5.3 a night, 37% from the three on 10 attempts pro. That's huge. Um, and he made some huge ones throughout that series. Uh, whenever, you know, Milwaukee made runs, it was that one home game. I can't remember which one it was where um, Milwaukee were making a, making a run. Oh, it was game six. Yeah, I think Milwaukee were making a run and he hit some threes just to keep it at, keep it at 10 to 15, 10 to 15. They got down to eight and then bang, hits a three. Uh, Brown was 22, seven and three. Smart, 14 and 5.7 assists. Horford was 13 and 10. Um, he had a solid series and really good defensively. At the other end, Giannis, insane numbers. I mean, 34, 15, and 7 a night, but he did average five turnovers a game. He was winging it all over the place at times. They were – they were. I felt like Boston did a really good job of, of um, changing up coverages with the way they – sometimes they'd send a double on Giannis. Sometimes they'd be at boxes and elbows. Sometimes they would dig. Sometimes they would half, half show or half blitz. So I thought they did a really good job of, of, of keeping him guessing, and that, that equates to five turnovers a night. That's a lot of turnovers. That's, that's 10 free points for Boston. Uh, Drew Holiday turned up the aggression, um, but it was just not accurate. <laughs> he, um, he was 22 points a night from 36% uh, 36% from the field. And we, I mean, we both spoke about it with Milton now. They needed someone else to step up scoring. And you look at their season oh, – sorry, their series stats, and they just couldn't find a bucket anywhere else. And, and Drew Holiday was – you could see he was pressing to try and be that guy, but I just don't think that's his role. Um, Connaughton ended up being their third best scorer, funnily enough, with 10 a night. But they, they just couldn't find that third – a consistent third scoring punch, even second, I'd, I'd argue. I mean, Drew was being aggressive, but they just couldn't find it. And, and you give credit to Boston. They they were fantastic defensively again. They were the number one team in the second half of the season for a reason. Um, Giannis, it almost looked like, hey, you, you're going to get some of your numbers. Cool, no worries, but we're going to make sure that no one else beats us. And, and the, you know, the games that Milwaukee won, it was a, a Bobby Porter's coming in and having a night or a Connaughton hitting some big threes. But when they didn't have contributions from other guys, that they just they just weren't deep enough to beat Boston, bro. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and, and look, Giannis had a great series, and he just couldn't find his shooting stroke uh, for sure. Like. You know, his free throws were under 70% and, you know, shot 25 from the three. And he was hunting that three a lot, like when things were not going his way. And look, the way he dominates games is through running and transition, his offensive rebounding, his ability to get the ball up top. We know what's going to happen. He's going to drive you, spin you and finish, you know, and get to the free throw line. And he was able to, you know, for a big chunk from last year's playoffs to throughout the season, and even early in the playoffs, he was making shot, you know, making shots and making his free throws. He wasn't doing that, and he was hunting threes. And like losing Middleton, we talked about it, such a big part of, of their sort of demise in this series because they just didn't have enough people stepping up. I mean, Boston played great. You know, Boston was unbelievable with you know their their attack of Tatum and Brown and you know just their role players and, and smart and you know Grant Williams stepping up. You know, Grant Williams gets a lot of a lot of flack for, you know, once in a while, like, I don't know if you cover, you follow Boston as much as I have, not that I follow Boston a lot, but you get it enough because I follow a lot of people on Twitter and new England and Boston. He gets a lot of shit. You know, he, he got drafted pretty high and, you know, he's been an okay player. He, he's been somebody, I thought he was going to be like a Chuck Hayes early on in his career. And he's really become a very good perimeter defender, perimeter shooter. And um, he's really worked his way in there and, and into a really good, solid, you know, fifth option for a team on the floor, maybe even the four and a half, I guess, 
five, but they play great. They play great defensively. Al Horford, Marcus Smart, guys like that. Even Derek White, sort of, who's been in a funk, he actually stepped up a couple of games. I'll tell you who stepped up in small doses is Peyton Pritchard, who kicked the shit out of Grayson Allen. Mm-hmm. You know, Grayson Allen's had this really, you know, productive year and really good playoffs at, at times. And he he didn't show up. He did not show up. And like you said, without Middleton, you have to sort of bring everybody got to you know come together to sort of recreate that 20 points a game that you're missing from Middleton. And he didn't do it. You know, he didn't do it. Well, Connaughton was OK. I mean, he made shots, but he just couldn't score enough. He's just not that that type of player. He's a shot maker. He plays hard. He's good in transition. He's a smart player. You know, Bobby Portis needed to give you like 15 and Brooke Lopez got to give you a little bit, but he's been hurt. You know, and, and it's been tough, but, you know, Peyton Pritchard and those guys, those young guys played well. And, you know, on top of the all-stars, of course, of Brown Tatum and, you know, Horford and those guys. But, um, yeah, it was, hey, look, it was a clinic, an absolute clinic that Boston put on. Um, maybe he thought that, that Milwaukee could do something at Boston, but they just couldn't do anything. It's sort of like, in ways, it was like the Phoenix and Dallas series where, like, Milwaukee would punch them in the face and maybe a year ago, maybe maybe two years ago, you would say Boston was just going to like their legs will get knocked out and they go, fuck no. And, and that's true growth of a team where like at one point of their sort of build up, you know, maybe a year ago or two years ago, you, they would they would falter. But now they didn't. They stayed together. They took they absorbed the punch. And they just went right back at Milwaukee and there was nothing they could do about it. Expected more out of Drew Holiday, especially shooting the ball. He just couldn't do it. He wasn't efficient. He wasn't his regular self. And they 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 threw the ball away. And, and Giannis is a big culprit of that. But, you know, collectively as a team, they, I don't know if they were too loose if or they were just too loose with the ball. And it, it ended up it ended up really hurting them at the end. Yeah, it was. But it was, look, it was a fun series. It's what you want. You, you wanted Game Seven. It was just unfortunate. It was another, another Game Seven blowout. Um, both of them weren't what you wanted to watch in a Game Seven. But um, yeah, Grayson Allen was he was bad that series. I thought he was better defender than than they were putting him in. in they were hunting Grayson Allen um, throughout that series. I thought he was a better defender than that. Well, he has that rep, right? Because he, he's fiery and. Borderline dirty. Oh no, he's got the rep of being a cheap shot artist, not a fucking good defender. But yeah, he'll trip, he'll trip you like the, but with the best of them. Yeah, no, no, he's no, not much I, of a defender. I never thought he was an elite defender. I, I didn't think he was this bad. <laughs> I thought he was yeah, like, think, yeah. you know, an average to okay, culpable defender. Like he, I didn't, I definitely wouldn't have thought that you're like, hey, we're gonna, we're going, to, we're trying to find him at all costs type defender. You know, like and there, yeah, that was interesting. But um, where to for Milwaukee? I mean, for me, they, they you know. They had some injuries, so you got to give them um, some credit for that. But uh, I don't think they changed too much. I think they're still got a, they're still got a good core. They'll probably you know go to the, the, the. I think they've got a mid level available. They'll probably maybe get a veteran in there as well. Um, I think the PJ Tucker loss was pretty big for them. Um, I don't think he would have helped too much in this series, but I think you throw him at Tatum at times when Tatum's hot wouldn't have hurt. Um, something different, but. Yeah, they they didn't they didn't bring him back and change their core a little bit. Thought he was really good for him in the finals, but uh, yeah, I think they keep their. I don't think there's any panic stations for Milwaukee. They got a chip only a year ago. They were kind of in the mix. They go to seven against a team that a lot of people have picked to go to the finals. So no panic stations for me, pro. I think they were good with where they're at. Make a few small tweaks, and they'll be right back in that mix again next season. 
Yeah. When you have a, an injury like that and it wasn't like the team quit or, you know, you have this inner feud, you had one of the better players in the league, top 25 player or so in Middleton and you're losing him and you're losing 20 points a game. That's a lot of, that's a lot of your punch right there. You know, so it wasn't like, you know, I, I can understand why Phoenix is looking around like what the fuck, because of the fact they weren't missing anybody when you're missing somebody like that. And you're forcing all these other role players to step up to become better than role players. It's hard. And I, I think you have to evaluate your team based on if you have a full roster together and they had, you know, they were most of the year and then Middleton gets out with that knee injury. I think you give them another year, figure it out and, you know, you know, play around with your roster a little bit. You know, maybe you could bring in some guys, but I think they got a really good core. They got a good nucleus. I think those guys play hard. They play together. It's just when you're missing, you know, when you're missing a big scorer like that, it's really hard to replicate and you need that scoring. And as much as defense is important in the playoffs, you need that scoring. You need that when they when they're trying to double and take the ball out of your best player's hands, you need someone else to rely on to be able to drop your 20, 25, you know, maybe be that one, you know, that 30 point a game guy, one, you know, one or two games in a series when they're when they're taking the ball out of your best player's hands. So yeah, I, I think they're fine. I think they can move forward. I think Bud did a good job. I think every everybody did their job. It's just they just got a little unlucky with injuries throughout the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And I think they maybe look for a bench punch scorer um, would probably be what they're, what they're probably circling. You know, if they can find a, a cheap version of Jordan Clarkson or, you know, Lou Williams, one of those types that can just be a microwave off off the uh, off the bench. But those guys are going for 15, 20 million these days. You know, Gary Trent Jr., those kind of guys that were those six men now have, 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 have gone into teams and got paid. So easier said than done. All right, Western Conference Finals, Warriors versus the Mavs. We um, <clears throat> have the luxury of obviously knowing that this is currently two zero. But we, I picked the Golden State Warriors four two. You picked the Mavs four two. So they better get on their bike pro in these next two home games. But um, I thought that Gary Payton the second or junior or whatever it is. Um, I thought he's out would have would have hurt Golden State a little more just with guarding Luca. But Wiggins has been good. Um, I'm really. I think Wiggins has done a hell of a job. Guarding Luca, like you know, you're not going to stop Luca. I think game one, I don't take too much into. I think, I think for both teams, um, Boston and and uh, Dallas coming off those game sevens, they were just flat as a pancake in those game ones. They just didn't, no energy, just flat, and that's that game seven hangover, the, the high of that game seven. And then it's like, great guys, you got game seven done, and then hey, you got a game in two days, you know. So I think that 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 it's no excuse, but it is what it is. I think we we saw what Luca will bring in game two a little bit more, and I think Wiggins has done a great job guarding him for the most part. But Dallas, I mean, that, we all know they had that game. Um, I kind of thought, look, they're not going to shoot the way they did in the first half of the whole game, and if they do, you shake their hand, you take their loss, and, and they they not that they dried up, but they shot the ball so well in that first half, like every, everything, and the Warriors had that. I mean, they'll, they'll, it was like a half little show with Steph um, where they didn't want Steph stuck on Luca, And, they were, you know, obviously Dallas were hunting whoever Steph was guarding to come set the screen. Um, and that was it was junky for the Golden State Warriors. Like it's, their rotations just weren't as crisp. Um, sometimes Steph stayed too long. Sometimes he left early. They made an adjustment on that at halftime and it looked much better. Uh, but... Yeah, I think I think it it was Dallas's game to be won. I think they'd be kicking themselves now, thinking shit, like it should be one one going back to Dallas. It's two zero. 
that's the difference, and I posted this on, on socials, that's the difference between Phoenix and Golden State, in my opinion. Golden State's been there before. They've been they've seen everything, every every man and his dog, every scheme, every whatever you want to call it, they've seen it. They've been down 20, they've been down 30. They've seen it all, right? Whereas Phoenix haven't really seen it all yet. And um, I, I think that's the difference. You, you've got a championship merit team that just is, is rarely going to quit. If you get them to, you got to have them down 50 at halftime for them to quit, right? And I think Dallas felt that. They, they, they kind of didn't come out as crisp and you could just see Golden State just kept that, you know, at that 10 to 12 in that third quarter and, and Dallas just couldn't really extend that lead back to what it was and then, you know, 3-3-3 three, three, three and, and, and you're down a, you know, it's a three, four-point game and they end up stealing it. So I think, you know, Dallas had that opportunity, but they are going home. We all, the old adage of, you know, the playoffs don't start till someone loses home court or a series doesn't start till someone loses home court. Dallas had that opportunity. I think Dallas get game three. I think the big one, I think the big one is game four. I think, not that the Golden State Warriors will just coast in there. I think they'll want to, if they can get it, they'll take it. But I think, um, you know, Dallas going home, did a lot of good things in game two. They'll, they'll watch the tape and be like, let's replicate what we did uh, a bit better in the first half into to the second half. We would have won that game and we'll go from there. And, and I think Golden State will, will come out and, and bring it. But at the same time, I think I think Dallas will get game three. So I think it's going to come down to game four for the series. If, if Dallas can get game four, then we've got a series and, 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 and you know we all know how that goes. But I just think that um, Golden State is going to be too much overall in this series, bro. Yeah, I mean, with me, with with the, how the series has gone, obviously we know how pulverizing, uh, polarizing, I'm sorry, polarizing um, Golden State could be, it, it, what they can do as far as their, you know, experience and their talent and their skill level. With Dallas, I felt as though they got all the shots they wanted in game one and they couldn't make it. And they just didn't step up and make shots. And, you know, they allowed themselves to get down, you know, pretty you know, pretty easily and they never really, you know, Golden State never, never looked back. Then they come in game two, you know, come into that, like, what, 20 point lead or whatever. And then it was funny. Like they come up to the 20 point lead. I leave because we have to work out guys for the, uh, you know, work out guys for the draft and stuff and some other kids. And I go to my workouts and then like they have the game on, but they have the sound on. And then someone's yelling out that they like, they cut it to two. I was like, what the fuck? But what I'm thinking is look game three is it for Dallas? If they can win game if they lose game three, obviously it's over. You know, if they can win game three, I, I'm very confident they can win game four. I think that the way they've been playing, they're okay, but they have to utilize the three-point shot in a way that they can get great looks instead of just you know launching shot after shot. It, it sort of reminds you of Houston, right? Like a couple of years ago against Golden State, where they just sort of like they shot themselves out of the game. And, and that's what they did in the third quarter. They just got to be smarter with the three. They got to attack the basket. They got to keep on getting good looks. You know, don't fall in love with the three. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of taking 55, you know, 55 or close to 63s a game. I'm, I'm more like a little bit lower, just get high level threes, move the ball, get corner looks, you know, ball movement, attack the basket. They got enough weapons, folks. They got enough defense. They've got, there's nothing that Golden State has that like go that, you know, Dallas is like, well, we can't do this. We, you know, look, obviously Golden State's the more experienced team, probably the better team, obviously, you know, being of 2-0 and all. But Dallas, it's not like they're way overmatched. They've gotten good looks in both games. 
They got to make shots and step up. They got to play smart. Dinwiddie's got to show up, which he hasn't really done. And they got to get some more production. But, um, I mean, Golden State's, like, their movement. It was funny, Bogues. Game one, it seemed like they moved all over the place. Now, game two, especially early on, it seemed like the player movement off the ball wasn't as intense and it wasn't as blur. You know, they weren't a blur like they were in game one. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just didn't seem like the ball movement. And I mean, not the ball movement, the player movement, you know, constant cut split action, just keep on moving and moving and moving. It seemed like they just sort of, they, they stuck around a little bit. Now I'm sure that that changed in the third and fourth quarter. I haven't watched that second half yet, uh, but um, it did a little I think bit. It still is. It did a little yeah. bit, but not. Yeah, it definitely was more ISO based. Um, even when when because Ste- Steph got it going in that in that third slash fourth, made some big buckets for him. Yeah, the movement. It's, it's hard to do that all game, man. Like, and, yeah, it is. And, it and is. Da- Dallas doesn't do it as much. Dallas Dallas is much more. They move off the ball, but not not into split cuts. It's more. There'll be an action to get Luca in a pick and roll, and then they'll try to just move off whatever teams do to Luca. Whereas the Warriors are notorious for just. You know, running guys off off cross screens and and the, the split actions and the handoffs. So yeah, it was a fair point. It definitely dried up, and and that's that's a scary thing too because they 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 weren't moving as well as they usually do, and they still still got that win pretty comfortably towards the end. They, they ended up winning by nine. You know, I'll tell you what, Looney Looney's going to get paid. I mean, Looney set himself up to get paid pretty well. You know, look, as as much as all the bigs get take shots these days about, oh, they're not an important part of the game. He is a very important part to what they're doing with his rebounding, with his rim protection, with running the floor, playing hard. He's he's really had a pretty good series. Look, he's not Wilt fucking Chamberlain by any stretch of the imagination, but he's played well, man. He's really, you know, he's really matured. Yeah, he's done well. I think he's, and done, he's, he's a guy he's you can switch well. one through five if you need to in emergencies because he's, he's just – he doesn't look like he's moving fast, but he's just one of those guys that just – he's always right there, right? And he's and he's long. Yeah. He's smart. He knows how to play. I mean, just his movement off the ball, dunker to dunker, is something that young kids should watch. If, you, if you, you know, you're playing for a team that – you're not the main guy with ball handling duties or, or creating for your team. Offensively, you moving off the ball. Watch Ke- watch Kevon Looney and watch what he does. Um, whenever whenever guys are driving, he gets into those little crevices behind a defender's head. He gets under the backboard sometimes. You know he's always moving it and his offensive rebounding. His 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 work pre getting the rebound is elite. You know, like I said, he's yeah. not the fastest. He's not the strongest. And that's why it's so good to watch because he'll start preparing for offensive rebounds, knowing guys' shooting patterns, where guys are going to shoot from, and, and he just sometimes he just luckily falls into him because he's given the effort to go to the board. He, he got so many big tip outs in that third quarter, and got them mm-hmm. second, third possessions, and that's demoralizing if you're Dallas because you you have a hell of a defensive possession, you just don't get the rebound, they tap it out, and Steph hits a three, and then starts doing his little dances and stuff. It's that's demoralizing as fuck because you've done a good job, you just couldn't cap it off. And I agree, I think. Look, I think he is more suited to that system. I think if he gets paid and goes to a team that 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 don't utilize his strengths around great great star players, maybe he struggles a little bit more. But in that system, I think he's just such a perfect fit moving off the ball. And um, I'll be interested to see where he goes. But they're going to try to keep him. They do have some cap problems coming up in the next couple of years, though. So with with everything going on, it'll be um, interesting to see where they go. Let's move on to the Eastern Conference Finals with Boston and Miami. This is on right now. Miami's beating the shit out of them for 16-4 to right now. Uh, Eight minutes left in the first quarter, so we'll touch base on that later on in the pod and see where it's at. But I did notice just, you know, as you were talking, watching that, Miami's come out with 
a whole lot more energy and physicality. Um, they were they got punched in game two, and I think that's been their adjustment. But yeah, let's let's go to game one. Look, game one, like I said, I think the game seven hangover didn't help Boston. Um, Miami came out and and just kind of cruised through that game pretty comfortably. I'd say that it wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of nervous times. Um, game two was was flipped. Boston came out and punched them completely. Um, hell of a job, like you said. You know, there's some back and forths um, throughout the game. You know, some some individual matchups. I think Jimmy's been elite again. You know, just for a guy who doesn't shoot a lot of threes and anti analytics, he's been he's he's had a great finals and playoffs to this point. He's been big in this series already. Um, Kyle Lowry's back, so he's playing today. Which which is, I think they you know. Not great offensively. They don't have a great offensive playoffs, but I think having that that really bulldog, great defender um, to now, you know, give Jimmy a bit of a rest off off Tatum or Brown, I think is key. But um, yeah, to look, it's it's still going to be a hard series to pick. I think. I think. Um, I think we both went Boston four two, but it's it's the opposites. Miami's just 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 as good. They're more slower pace, um, defensive grind, hold, grab. Um, Boston are elite defensively, but they have—I think they just have have it because they have elite shot makers in, in a Tatum and Brown, guys that can get their own bucket even from three. I think Miami have that in Butler, Hero inconsistently, Oladipo hasn't really been that guy for a while. So, um, yeah, man. I mean, it's, I, I, this, I think both series are going to be fantastic, uh, but I think I'm still thinking Boston four two in this one, even though they're down by twelve right now in the first quarter. Yeah, I, I just always worry about the scoring from Miami. I'm, you know, look, let's be honest. They've been a, they've been a finals team. They've been a very consistent winning team the last few years, and you know they're not going to get rattled easily. They're tough, and and you know, they get the best coach in the league, in my opinion, Spolster. And they got, you know, they got Jimmy Butler, one of the toughest players in the league. The, the problem is they've got some shooting, but they don't have a lot of scoring. You know, Tyler Hero is going to have to continue to step up and play, you know, big time basketball for them to have a chance in the series. Um, you know, Boston just going to come at you. I know they had, you know, Smart was out. Uh, Robert Williams is obviously with the knee, and uh, Horford had the game one deal with the with the COVID. But um, I still think Boston's going to win the series. It's going to be close. I think it's going to go seven. And I think that it, it's just something that, like you said, like one team will get punched in the mouth. We'll see how the other team makes the adjustments for the game, you know, for the next game, and and just continue to compete. I do. I still worry about, you know, look, they get the best player in the series in, in, in Tatum, right? But I and I still do worry about the scoring when it comes down to it, you know, for Miami. So unless they're gonna make a ton of threes and you know, that I, I just don't see where the extra scoring is gonna come from. Kyle Lowry playing is a good, you know, it's good for them if he could play it, you know, close to hundred percent because they need they need the experience, they need the they need the talent on the floor. They need to just another player they can sort of create a little bit. It'll be it'll be interesting physically how he competes the rest of the series. I still think Boston wins. I think it'll be a great series to watch. You know, um, you know, two really good coaches going at it, and you know, guys going to war. But I th- I think Boston just has a little bit too much for Miami, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with you. I got a good friend of mine who's a huge Miami Heat fan, so he's always in my ear about ah, yeah. Jim, Jimmy buckets and all this. And I just said, I I'm just not sold on. On Miami offensively. Um, hopefully, I'm wrong. Yeah. Hopefully, we're both wrong. Oh, well, doesn't matter if we're, if we're wrong, but I mean, yeah, I think when when things dry out, they just they'll struggle to get a bucket. Especially, we saw in game two the whistle was much different. Um, 
Jimmy relies on getting to the line a lot to free throw line with just the way he plays. So he wasn't getting that whistling game too when they got blown out. So I think the scoring one is a questionable one. Whereas I think you know that's why I'm meaning Boston. They have they have a you know Jimmy's an elite elite shot maker at times, but mainly you know he's not going to hit a big three for you really. Generally, he's just not not a guy that likes to hoist up a lot of threes. Whereas I think Tatum and Brown. They can hurt you many different ways, and they're elite. They're elite scorers in that in that in that fact. So, I think it's it's great though. I think both these series, from what I've heard, TV ratings have been phenomenally high compared to the last you know five, six, seven years. Um, as is that Kyle Lowry? I think Kyle Lowry's leaving the floor, pro. That doesn't look good. So. Hopefully it's not his hamstring again, but it looks like it is. Um, but yeah, TV ratings have been good, so I think people have <clears throat> appreciated good battles. I think the unknown of a clear-cut champion. Notice, pro, there's no no political activism uh, this playoffs. I think that that definitely plays a part. I think for people tuning in that just want to watch basketball, so I know no, it definitely is a good thing for me. I just love watching the game. I don't want to hear about all the shit we hear about on a daily basis everywhere else. So just a small note for that. All right. We'll see how we go. You've been on fire with your picks, by the way, Pro. You're killing me, man. Uh, folks, <sighs> these picks are so fucking overrated. It's not even funny. Like, <laughs> well, you're killing you know, it now, year, man. Was, you can start a new niche for yourself. Dude, last year I was completely fucking awful. This year, look, I took two teams that not a lot of people had a lot of faith in because they, they got hot late. And um, I just had a good feeling about But remember, like... I didn't like Golden State. Like I had them, I think I had them going yeah, out in the first Denver. round. Yeah, you had Denver. Yeah. yeah, Denver. Yeah. So it's like, I hate fucking making picks, folks. I fucking hate it. <laughs> I like busting people's balls online about my picks and stuff, but I fucking hate I'm not one of those guys like, I told you so, I was right. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. not. I just could care less. I, I just like watching the game, but, you know, it's... Uh, and that's what's interesting with people yeah. that get games right sometimes. Like everyone's going to get a series that they call something and get right and then you're going to get 10, yeah. you know, get, it's just, it is what it is. It's, it's good. It's a good discussion, a good debate on things. Oh, maybe they should make this adjustment. I love that part of it. But the whole, these guys are like, oh, I'm, I'm like 90% at picking a series. No, you're fucking not. Yeah. No, you're not, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like NBA's, no. the NBA is one of the hardest leagues to, to, to figure out and predict exactly like, you know, where you, where you try sports better. That's that's your that's your meter. Go on go on sports bet NBA games and then come back to me in, in a month's time when you've lost lost some money. You know because it's so, it's so hard to to just you know constantly um, figure out. You got in, late scratches. You got injuries. You got momentum. You got the referees. Like there's just so much going on. It's one of the hardest things to pick. So yeah, I like doing it more for the point of view that. I like to say when we're right, but we also say when we're wrong. Hey, fuck it. But um, it's just that the, the debate and the discussion is fun. All right, NBA lottery has been announced pro. Your Orlando Magic go number one. They got the number one pick, OKC, who are ultimate tank mode. Got two, Houston, also ultimate tank mode. Three, Sacramento, trying to win at all costs, but look like a tank mode. <laughs> Four, oh, yeah. uh, Detroit five, Indiana six, Portland seven, New Orleans, which comes from the LA Lakers, is eight, San Antonio nine, and Washington ten pro. I haven't really followed it too much. Is there a clear-cut number one pick right now to the, the big white kid? What's his name? No, uh, uh, home, Chet Holmgren. Mm. Um, yeah, Jabari Smith from the kid from Auburn. There's a big kid from Duke that's pretty good, Poncho. And, um, oh, yeah, Poncho. Poncho yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a good player. He reminds me of, like Tobias Harris a little bit. Um, I like Jabari Smith the best. I think that I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of Holmgren's body. I think he's going to be a you know Porzingis, you know a Porzingis type where it 
he's going to find a lot of, you know, he's going to find a lot of injury issues. In my opinion, I'm not a doctor who the fuck knows, but I just don't like guys with skinny legs. I don't care about skinny tops, skinny tops. The strength coach could fix skinny legs. Um, I don't think anybody could fix. I think it's, it's going to be an ongoing problem that he's going to have. And he's just going to be banged up. And I like Jabari Smith. He's a big guy. He's a, sort of like a bam out of bio, probably get you a little bit more offense than, than bam at times. So I, I think that, uh, yeah, just like any any year, you're going to find some sleepers in the draft, guys that you know really overachieve and really become really good players. And then some are going to be highly touted and ain't going to do shit. So it, it'll be an interesting take. Australian brethren, Dyson Daniels. Um, this is from Jonathan Givoni, uh, who does NBA draft stuff online. He's given an opinion that he thinks he's the most impressive showing of any prospect on the pro day circuit. Now, keep in mind the pro day circuit is is mainly one on zero with trainers, that kind of stuff. But you can only judge on what you see for the most part. I think there was a little bit of of live stuff, but I'm not sure there was too much of it. Um, but shooting lights out, looking like he's saying, he, looking like he has potential, he's yet to tap into, and he's starting to generate some top five pick buzz. Pro, so, and he he's he's long, he's athletic, he's got a nice shot, he knows how to play. Um, I, see, I watched a couple of his workouts before I jumped on the pod, and, and just smooth, um, really really smooth player, and, and had a pretty good year over there with the um, the Ignite program. So that's an Australian brethren for us to watch out for. Do you know much about him? You know, I have. He's doing well. I, I've I've actually he actually works out in the gym that I work out. I work guys out of, but he, I think he's an octagon guy. So I don't see his workouts. We don't go to uh, their workouts. They don't come to ours. But I have I've have heard that he's done well. Um, you know, and and that he's done well for himself in workouts and things. So I think he's going to be good. I think he plays hard. I think he's a good player. You know, people who've been around him and seen him play that I know in the league and trust have, have really thought that he could, you know, he could be a really good player. I don't get caught up in like, where are you going to go? I get caught up in like what you do when you get there and how do you produce? So I think he can do that. I think he's got a, you know, I think he's got an NBA skill. I think he can, he compete. He's a good player, you know, depending on the, the team he goes to, I think he's got a future. Yeah, I think he does. And it's always good to see guys kind of rise up because, you know, he was a, a mid to late first rounder and now he's, creating some attention just based on his workouts, which you can't, like you said, you can't judge everything on that, but he can only only do what, it's, what he's got in front of him and he's, he's doing a good job with that. So hopefully we get another Australian in the top five and and uh, we can celebrate another Australian playing well in the NBA. All defensive first teams were announced. Um, no surprises really in the first team. Giannis, Bridges, Gobert, um, Jackson Jr. and Marcus Smart. Um, I don't think you can really argue with that too much, bro. No, no arguments from me. No, or um, anything from you? Nah, not really. Not really. Second team was Bam, Draymond, Drew, Matisse, and Robert Williams, the third. I mean, one guy that might might be a pissed is Patrick Beverly. Um, we need to talk about his, his past week too, geez. Um, but yeah, he, he's one guy that wasn't on there that you could probably put on the second team. But for the most part, I think, you know, they're, they're pretty analytically based now. So they're, they're very hard to screw up, but I think those teams have it right. Speaking of Patrick Beverly, pro, he's been on the, the talk show circuit. <laughs> I think he's um, – first of all, he called the CP3 injury. <laughs> so yeah. that was – for those of you who haven't seen that, he said at about first quarter slash second quarter of game seven, Phoenix-Dallas, he basically tweeted something like, Watch out! Watch out for the the you know there's gonna there's gonna be an injury out for for one of our guys in Phoenix. Watch and 
by the end of the game, <laughs> Mark Spears said that Chris Paul was playing with something tweaked, torn, whatever, strained quad. Um, so Patrick Beverly got that one right. He read the room on that one pretty perfectly, which was kind of hilarious just the way he went about it. But he's been on talk shows and going, going at Stephen A. Smith, going at JJ Redick. It's been kind of fun to watch. Um, he, you know, people are giving him a bit of flack because he's asking for more hate on why doesn't CP3 get the same hate Ben Simmons does, all that kind of stuff. So there's been some good back and forth there. I think he's niching out a little career in um, in the media when he's done just because he's uh, his personality and, and how he talks and how he discusses things is how he plays, right? He's all in. Like he's not, he's not going to sit on a fence. He's going to give you his opinion. You know where he stands. He's fiery. He's going to go back at you. And that's what sells on TV and radio these days, pro. But um, it's been fun to watch just him <laughs> basically just going on a national shitting on everyone tour. Yeah, I mean, I, I've known Patrick since he's been in high school. Um, he used to work out at the gym in Chicago with Grover and those guys. And, um, you know, he's always been like that. He's always been somebody who doesn't care about what you think of him. Uh, he's going to say what he's going to say, and that's it. Um you know, look, he's got a history with, he's got a history of Paul for sure, you know, and it, 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 that's evident. And sometimes it spills over into his evaluation. You know, some things that like the injury things and being political and all that, I get all that. I totally get it, you know, because everybody knows that. But then some of the things that he says that you could tell there's a little bit of bias there just because of his relationship with, you know, CP and not liking the guy he fucking hates him. I get it. It's like me talking about Carlisle on the show. I try to keep it as unbiased as possible. But if you hate a fucking person, I get it. You want to, you know, especially when you're in a, like, a, you know, you got millions of people watching. You want to stick that dagger in them a little bit more. Um, he lost a little credibility to me saying that he, you know, he would give James Harden the max, you know, without question, you know, obviously that's his boy from Houston. And, you know, that, now you're like, all right, come on, man. Like you go into CP, we get that, but now you're going to, you know, yeah, everybody in, this, in their mother knows that you're not going to give, no one would give James Harden the max. You're going to say that, but of course everybody's has, a, you know, has their opinion and he's entitled to it. Yeah, no, I think he's hit the spot on though. I think that's where he, he loses some people and Draymond Green made that point. As soon as you, I try to do the same thing. Like there's guys I don't have great relationships with in the NBA, um, coaches, whatever, right? But when I'm trying to, you know, be analytical or give an honest opinion about it, I try to separate that just because it, it muddies the waters and then you just you just end up looking like a crying baby, right? So, and I think that's where he had some really good takes on certain things. And then yeah. you go out and, and, and it's obviously personal and he's admitted it's personal. That's when you lose people because you're like, you're not really giving me an analysis or giving me something that's, you know, basketball or whatever, right? You, 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 this is from your personal hurt feelings or heart or whatever. And, and that, yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That's where you lose people. But I, I will say it has been fun to watch. Um, he, he wears, oh, yeah, sure. he, he wears his heart on his sleeve, but yeah, I don't agree with everything he says. And I think he has lost. I take him over, I take him over Perkins any day of the week. Oh. I would take him over, you know, Perkins is terrible and not very good. And at least he gives you like, presence he gives you he's not going to fly off the handle yes he's biased towards cp i get that but um you know but he gives you some legible stuff stuff that actually makes a little sense even look everybody your take my take everybody has takes to people like hey coming out of left field a little bit and i don't agree that's okay that's normal but 
you know, I like, I, I like him. Don't get me wrong. And look, he'll refine himself. He'll retune himself where if he does this again in, in long term, he'll get better at this. And like everybody, I think at the start sort of needs a little bit refining, but uh, it's hey, look, it's, it's, it was something that was cool to watch. You get bored with the same people's takes all the time. And it's good to see a little bit of variety. Especially current different. players. At least they have the balls to say it. But I think Perks, He's, he's he's clock's ticking. I think he has a, he has the same run of cliches that he uses on a, you know. And, and he's hypocritical. He'll go both sides of things. He's not going to stick to one thing. He'll mm. be like, you know, oh, uh, you know, this guy sucks, and then like that guy will go back at him, and then he'll be like, oh yeah, you know, like typical <laughs> player stuff. Like when somebody comes at him about something, especially another player, and he they they want to stay in the old boys network, you know, in the old player network. And they'll be like, oh, fuck. All right. Yeah. I got to, you know, uh, yeah. And they retune his, his stance on it. That's where he's got to, he's got to stay more consistent with his takes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially after Draymond Green called him a big ogre, <laughs> which was funny. Uh, the NBA is discussing stopping intentional fouls to stop fast breaks by giving the other team a free throw and they retain possession. Do you like it, bro? Yeah, I don't like to take ball. I like the, I, you know, I, it was refreshing to watch the Olympics and you watch the EuroLeague. They don't allow it. I'm, I'm all for that. I don't like take fouls. To be honest, I don't like take fouls for my clients too, you know, where they waste a foul. You know, I'd rather give up the, to be honest, I'd rather give up the two points because Stan Van Gundy actually made a good point the other night and I'll give him props on that. He, he said the same thing and he goes, you don't know when you're going to need that foul in the fourth quarter individually. You know, now you're yeah, wasting bonus. the foul to take. Yeah, yeah I'd, rather, I'd rather get rid of it. Only thing I'll say is it then puts a lot of pressure on the official to determine a player's intent. The obvious ones are the obvious ones. You grab and hold, you, you know, but there's strategic ways then to do that, right? So if, if, you're, if you're running side by side and I lunge at the ball and then take you out of my shoulder, is that is that deemed intentional? What they do in the NBL is they're like, well, yes, you almost hit the ball, but we still think you were trying to slow the breakdown. So now all of a sudden you're in my you're in my brain, right? Like you you have to completely you know, judge things based on that. And that, that that's when it gets murky because now you've got an official, you know, basically the rule book in, in the NBL or FIBA says that if you're, if you're not in a, in a, in a, in a, in a guarding position, in a, what's the wording? There's something like a legal guarding position where you can make a play on the ball, but you can steal the ball from a non-legal position if you hit the ball, right? So if I'm on the side of a guy and I tap it from behind, Right on a fast break, and I hit the ball, and it's not a foul. That's a steal. But if all of a sudden it's a fast break opportunity, clear path, and I tap it, then it's a, you know. So that's where I just hope yeah. it doesn't get too integral. I think we've got enough. We've spoke about it last week. There's enough replay center shit already, where the game just dies a slow death for four minutes of a quarter because there's so many reviews. That's mm. all I hope this rule doesn't do. I think if, if they make it clear cut and they allow the referee to make the decision for the most part. And get on with it, no problem. But if, if every every second one goes to a review, you're slowing the game down again, which I hope they don't do. But um, yeah, I, li- I like the rule. I think I think you you know they talk about wanting flashy plays and all that. That happens on a fast break. Guys get out and do windmill dunks and reverse dunks and all that kind of stuff. You want to see that? This is a good way to stop it rather than just having referees put guys to the free throw line. So like it. All right, JJ Reddick and Bob Cousy, a bit of back and forth. JJ already made some comments. This was weeks ago, actually, about you know um, your Matt, your friend Mad Dog, whatever his name is. Yeah, he brought up uh, some some Bob Cousy in a conversation, and JJ Reddick just basically said, "Look, man, he was he was guarded by firemen and plumbers." Um, 
So Kuzi a couple of weeks later, obviously probably not on the social media, he's in his what, 80s, 90s, um, but just basically said, oh, Rus- Russell and Will, we must have had the best firemen and plumbers on the planet. This is why I hate comparing eras because you, you, you're, not, you're never going to get it right. There's always going to be backlash. And I think that um, there is a st- uh, it's disrespectful for JJ to say to an extent, but it's, you know, NBA players were part-time back then. So I think his point, you know, we probably made it more politically correct would be, look, athletes are full-time now. Like it's a full-time job. And by full-time, it's not just the two hours on the court. It's, it's recovery. It's weight room. It's physiotherapy, it's eating right, it's getting sleep. Whereas back in the day, there wasn't really, there wasn't even the science behind it. There wasn't the emphasis on it. There wasn't the money for it. So that I agree with. I think the game, you compare eras, I think this era creams the older era in my opinion. And like I've always said, I think the next era is going to absolutely destroy the era I played in. And so like the world's progressive. It progresses and gets better. And with all the technology and stuff that we have today, I think, yeah, can people argue, oh, the skill's not as great? Yeah, maybe, but shit, did you have a LeBron James type athlete back then? No. Like, and then flipping that, would would Wilt score 100 in today's game pro? I don't think so, right? So uh, that's why I hate comparing eras. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Um, I think maybe disrespectful a little bit to Bob Cousy just just based on him being an NBA legend, but I can see JJ Reddick's point. I've, I've, I've said that to, you know, to Andrew Gaze before and, and Leonard Copeland, like when we, when we were bantering, you know, because Leonard Copeland, who's awesome, by the way, he'd be like, yeah, man, I've, I've, got, I've got banners up in that arena. So I'll just be like, okay, yeah, cool. But you were playing against like people that had to go and like, you know, fix someone's car between training sessions. <laughs> He's like, fuck <laughs> off, fuck <laughs> off, man. You know, so I've said it more from a banner point of view, just giving them shit. Like, yeah, you guys were playing against like people that were had full-time jobs and shit. And some of them were actually back in the day, right? Like your fringe bench guys, your 9, 10, 11, 12 guys had, had full-time jobs outside of basketball. Um, but the game has changed. And I don't know what your thoughts are on it, whether you think it was disrespectful or whether you think he kind of had a point, just made it the wrong way. No, again, everybody sort of, everybody sees this whole error versus error thing differently and how they evaluate it. And they put it in a vacuum. I remember, you know, Dallas guys, coaches and players talking about how bad Bob Cousy would have been in today's game. And one thing that you don't, that you have to understand is two things when they talk, well, let's, let's take Cousy out of it for a second. When they say, well, like the bulls versus golden state, well, who would guard who first of all, wait a minute now. Because what was important in today's game wasn't important in the game that the Bulls played in. If any type of competitor, you got Michael Jordan, you got Kobe Bryant, you've got um, Allen Iverson, anybody who's a competitor, that if you if they said, look, three point shooting, and you know, is so important to be a champion and to be an elite player, an elite team, and mid range shots probably weren't as important, then you don't think Michael Jordan and those guys would sort of change their game. If Larry Bird thought that the game had to be played in another way that, you know, more threes and things like that, that he wouldn't adjust his game. So when you're trying to get to like Kuzi and those guys, yeah, it looks weird. It's a weird type of game. It looks like, you know, Kuzi looked like he was in the Globetrotters, how he dribbled and dribbled around the court and stuff. But again, you put him in today's game. In today's sports science, today's nutrition, today's training, today's travel, today's the money that's into the sport, then he'd be a completely different player. He's still an elite competitor. He, you know, shooting wasn't important as important as it is today. 
you know, he was a penetrator, he was a passer, he was a competitor. All those things would get better based on the training and the coaching and, and what we know about the game today versus what we know about the game tomorrow. It's not like you're going to be, you know, you're going to get 1.21 gigawatts and go into a fucking DeLorean and go back in time and take those guys and bring them here and just play them in a game. You have to understand that those guys have to play by the same rules, have the same training, have the same diet, have the same coaching, and then go against each other. Will Chamberlain would dominate in today's game dominate it wouldn't be i mean it hits would he score 100 who gives a fuck i don't give a fuck although i do like hershey's cho- hershey's chocolate and hershey pennsylvania i would have loved to see the game just to go to hershey's world but like yeah he, he maybe he didn't score 100 but would he get the rebound that he did today probably you know would he would he score and be dominating that guy was a big time fucking athlete try to watch film on that guy not just highlights and just actual games and how he was as an athlete he's ridiculous so, but like, I think you have to put those guys in today's game, you know, Kuzi six foot one and like, he would play differently a little bit. You know, he'd be competitive. He'd still have the basketball IQ, but the shooting would be better. All that stuff would be better. Yeah. He played against plumbers and stuff. I get it. And, and you want to kill, it's easy to kill the game back then because it was just different. So when I think at least the way I like to compare it, if you're going to compare errors, you have to give them the same tools that today's player and education about the game that today's players have. So, yeah, I was disrespectful. Of course, I only got half the argument because I'm blocked off of, uh, you know, I got the guy blocked. So I don't, I don't really see what JJ says these days, but I will tell you this. Yeah. I mean, when you're saying that stuff, it's a little disrespectful. I see where he's going with it. You know, he's like, look, he never shot 40% one time, you know, mad dog stuck in the past a little bit. He, it just, it's normal when you get older. Look, I'm 46. I'm older than you. You know, I am, you know, like I'm stuck in the past a little bit too. I like the game. The, I like the way the game was played a little bit in the past versus the way it's played today. So I get sort of the biases. But when you totally disrespect an error ago, two errors ago, three errors ago and say, well, just like end the argument, like, oh, our, our, you know, this this generation is way better. Like they have no chance. Well, yeah, the way they played versus the way we played. But again, I think you have to put everything on an equal playing field as far or playing court as far as like how to approach the game and what's important in the game. So. It's impossible. That's why I fucking hate it. I hate these lists. I hate comparing and all that bullshit. But I do think that these guys would be completely different. And the elite players will always be an elite. Most of the elite players in any era will be an elite in any era. The role players and below, yeah, that's when, you know, that's when it will probably be a lot different. And a lot of those guys probably couldn't play in today's game because of their size and athleticism or lack thereof. You know, I don't give a fuck if the guy was an, uh, an insurance salesman or a plumber or a fucking electrician that played. That's what they had to do back then. They had they they weren't making fucking nine million dollars every two weeks. They were fucking you know they were making bullshit money. They were make, making basically minimum wage just to play basketball. And you know they didn't have what they had today. So you know, and, and I don't know. It, it is what it is. So yeah, I, I don't. <laughs> I mean, one thing, I don't know if Will dominates today, though, Pro. I think he's, I think okay. he's, in my opinion, I just think that he was more athletically based um, back mm-hmm. then and big and strong. I think he's still an NBA player. I don't think he dominates like he did back then, though, because I think today there's a lot of guys that are, you'd argue, are more athletic than him and can do a whole lot more at the five spot, right? So now, you know, he was like an Olympic athlete in like multiple sports. He's a big time athlete. Mm, back then, yeah, yeah. he was. 
Yeah. But that's what well, I'm saying. You, you look at I, you look at that's what I'm saying with the with the eras. Like it's just it's yeah. it's common sense that each decade guys are getting bigger, stronger, faster. Like to, to see a guy like LeBron James at six eight do what he's doing back then. I mean, if you flip the script and say, okay, take LeBron from today back then, and I get what you're saying. Well, back then they didn't have the same the same training regimens, the same programs. And I totally get that. But I'm just saying, I think. There is a you just my argument on this whole thing is every decade somewhat gets better in, in one way or another. Now, just the sure. skills accelerate as much, probably not. Like, I think you know, there's some shooters back in the 80s and 90s that are arguably just as good as any shooters today, right? But then you can argue that with like, well, Steph, like, are they, were there guys back then that could make the degree of difficulty? No, of course not. Not the degree of difficulty shot Steph made. So, I agree with you. I think comparing errors is just disrespectful um, because. You know, I mean, for fuck's sake, they played in Dun- what are they playing Dunlop volleys or the, or the equivalent of those Converse All Star shoes back in the in the sixties? No ankle tape, like you know what I'm saying? They were traveling on trains and buses and shit. So you, you have to factor in everything completely. Um, whereas you, you're never going to get the right arg- the right result out of an argument. I think it's really <clears throat> like you said, a guy like Mad Dog, the commentator. His era was you know seventies, eighties, nineties Boston Celtics. So it's probably special in his heart. It's like my era. When people want to want to debate the goat, it's like I'm more aligned to Michael Jordan because I was a young child and a teenager going through adolescence when Jordan was big. So it just appealed to me. He he brought me to the game. Michael Jordan was everything back then. So I'd always probably put MJ over Kobe and LeBron just based on that, right? So I think yeah, we, we are biased to our own kind of perils as as we grow up and that's why I just think yeah you know discussing these these eras versus eras I think is it's a good talking point and good for clickbait on TV but I think it it can become disrespectful and you can only play what's in front of you Bob Cousy played what's in front of him LeBron's playing what's in front of him Will play what's in front of him we'll never know um, great talking point, but I think, yeah, let's get sure. on with it. Lakers yeah. finalist for NBA head coaching job pro. Our guy, Mark Jackson, got knocked out, unfortunately. So less content for the pod next season, but there's still a chance in Sacramento. The final three, Darvin Ham, Kenny Atkinson, or Terry Stotts. Call it right now. Put your balls on the line. Who's getting it? Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers is on the list, pro. So you're saying the Lakers are lying. I, I think I think they're. This is what I think. I think that they, in a, a gun to their head, they don't want any of those three. They, because <laughs> they, no gun to my head, gun to their head. They don't. They're waiting out the Doc Rivers thing. I think that they're trying to under the table, you know, try to get to Daryl Morey or, or get to Philly, and say, okay, what is it going to take to get Doc? And you know, what kind of you know, what kind of compensation package do you want? Multiple picks, a pick, you know, try to get this thing done, cash, whatever, however that works. Wasn't Doc already think, involved in a, was he already involved in like a? Yeah, Boston traded, Boston traded the Clippers. I think they got like a second round pick. Um, was it, well, know, wasn't that the first time a coach was in an actual yes. year, right? <laughs> yeah. So how about this? Yeah. Pat, um, Pat Riley in 1997 traded the Boston Celtics to get, um, you know, Chris Wallace, that was the GM of the Celtics. He was the G, he was like an assistant. He was like a player personnel in Miami and the, the, um, the Celtics had a trade or swap picks. They had to like swap second round picks for Boston to get the rights to sign Chris Wallace as a GM. So, but Chris, uh, but Doc Rivers 
this is the first time I, I, I think that was the first time a coach was traded for. Mm. Yeah. So it'll be the sure. second if it happens. Oh, Doc Rivers. Second. Okay. So that's the, the, it's a bit of a smoke here. Yeah, it's a small. I think that they have to go through it because just in case they can't get anything done, they need to pick one of these guys. I think Darvin Ham because I don't think I don't think LeBron James wants a guy that's going to really coach him. Kenny Atkinson's a very hell no. Kenny Atkinson, in, you can put a line yeah, through. in your face, in your face type of coach that he he's like. If you think Mike Malone is tough, then you know this guy makes Mike Malone look like a, a hallmark card. You know, as far as how tough he is on players, I don't see that ever happening there. Maybe Charlotte, possibly, but I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, that's what I don't think. And I think that I love Terry Stotts. I think Terry Stotts is easily the best coach in that list without question. I think Terry Stotts is the best coach in that list. And he's a good offensive coach. So I think that um, I think that that would make more sense because he'd probably he won't stay out of the way and, and lay down and let like those guys do whatever they want. But he's going to be a little bit like D'Antoni in the sense that like he knows, you know, he knows that, look, you can't you can't fight guys every day and all that stuff. He knows that the players run the show a little bit and he's going to know when to turn around, when not to. I think Darvin him because of, you know, he's, he was an ex-player. He, you know, he played, you know, played in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I think LeBron would probably rather a guy like that, that he's not going to like, you know, that, that Darwin first job, he's going to know that he's going to need those guys. He's going to need his horses to sort of like, you know, behind him and, and, and try to like, you know, make, make LeBron happy, make Davis happy and get those guys to compete. I like Darwin him a lot. I think he's, a, I, I work with him and, Tim Gerger just camps in the summertime in Vegas. I think he's very good. I think he's great with players. I, I don't like, you know, I, I like new coaches that sort of like filtered in to, and, and sort of give new, you know, new blood some chances as far as guys that, you know, have been in assistance for a long time. I think that if I had to call it, it's Darvin Ham. If I had to get those three, if I have, if I'm going to make a call on who I think will coach the Lakers next year, that may be excluded from that list, Elvis Presley included. I would probably say that Doc Rivers will be the coach of the Lakers next year. Okay, we'll watch that space. But yeah, it's, it's I've played for Terry. I think I agree with you with Terry. I think Terry's got a he's got a good he'll have a fine line of letting LeBron kind of do his thing, but also putting the foot down when he needs to be. I don't think Kenny Atkinson will get this job. I think Darvin Ham's a dark horse um, that could that could uh, you know pop up because he's been pretty highly touted as a head assistant, and it all comes down to to you know, how he goes with, with LeBron and managing all that. Is he a guy that would come in and lay down in his first job? That's the question. Uh, I've heard he's yeah. a pretty disciplined guy that likes to... He's a tough dude, man. Exactly. He's a tough so fucking dude. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think... I think Darvin Ham would be more suited to a, a Charlotte-type team or someone like Me that, too. a young team that he can get something out of. I think... And, and the Lakers job for a guy like that that's highly touted could be the kiss of death. It could be the one and done. And then he's, you know, he, he gets that job and it goes sour with Westbrook and LeBron and all that bullshit. And then he's not a head coach again for 10 years after he gets fired after two years, you know. So you have to be careful with that. So he might, you know, he might have that in his mind about taking it, but we'll see. Tim Connolly with Denver Nuggets front office, obviously, wants to stay in Denver, but apparently they weren't up his deal and... He's flying to Minnesota for an interview and potentially Minnesota will offer him what he wants. There's a lot of backlash with this pro. Um, there's a lot of people saying that the Nuggets, what the fuck are they doing? Why are they nickel and diming a guy? He's put together a good roster. Why Why wouldn't you just give him what he wants? He wants to stay in Denver. Um, so he's obviously got some good friends in 
in the media because there's been a lot of people talking about this, but um, have you heard anything about this, what, what the deal is? Yeah, I mean, I've heard rumblings for years that they don't, they don't pay their staff. You know, Mike Malone <laughs> might get paid pretty well, I've, I've, but I've known this for years that assistant coaches, scouts, management, those guys don't get paid a lot of money. It's sort of like if you watch Moneyball with um, the Oakland A's, like the guy, the, the owner just didn't want to spend. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, though. The owner owns like, first of all, I think he's in on the Walmart fortune. That's one. Two, he owns the L.A., the new um, L.A. team, like the Rams, I believe. He owns the Rams, so, like, just built that stadium, put a shitload of money into that, you know. And most importantly, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you know he's got a penthouse on top of the arena in Denver. Did you ever notice that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, with the curtains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty fucking sweet. Now, think about this. When you go to the arena, watch it on Google Earth or whatever you want to do, on top of the arena – there's a fucking like house or a penthouse and like he, he's got a place on top of an arena. That's some double, that's some James Bond shit. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty sweet. But anyways, just have his yeah, game day been, nap. Yeah. And then just go straight no down to the game. Yeah. Notorious for being frugal with his money, um, with his, with his team and not players necessarily. He does, he does okay there, but um, you know, as far as staff and things, look, Tim Conley, has done a great job in Denver. Great job, you know, identifying Jokic as a great player. Got him, I believe, in the second round. Made some great decisions with his, you know, with his team, with his coach, with building his team, making trades, getting, acquiring players. And he's built up. Look, he wasn't a basketball guy originally, folks, I believe. He was in Washington when I met him. I believe he was like a PR guy at first. Like he wasn't even in basketball and then he got into basketball. He worked up his way through the front office and then he got this Denver job and has done an outstanding job. Now, the only thing bogues about this is like you do have a young star in Edwards and those guys in, in Minnesota, but look, they're, you know, they're capped. They've spent a bunch of money on players, even though they're probably going to get rid of towns and get rid of Russell. And they've got these young players and good role players around, but like, Denver is this team that's sort of like, you know, look, they're, they're a good team and they they got a hard enough time trying to get to a conference final. Like, you know, and you're in Denver, Colorado. I'd much rather live in Denver, Colorado than Minneapolis, Minnesota, to be honest. And now, like, they're sort of like, they're not drafted in, in the lottery anymore. They're drafted, like, in the mid-first, you know, mid to later first. So it's not like you're going to get these great players in the draft unless you're going to get these like diamonds in the rough. You don't have a lot of cap room to get these great players to sort of make your roster that much better. You get all these really good teams in the West. It's interesting what he's going to do, but I understand, look, you want market value. Like I've, I, I, I've had experience with having a job where you were like the 28th highest paid person in your position, you know, in the league, it's not very flattering. I don't know what he is as far as his ranking, but if you say you're getting 2 million bucks and the average is like 3 million and then Minnesota's like, fuck, we'll give you four and a half million and run our team. We love what you did. Like, I don't blame him for wanting to jump ship. Like I do the same thing. So, um, yeah, so I think he's going to go I, I, unless he's going to force Denver to probably have to make a decision. They really like Calvin Booth there. He's his assistant. I heard he's been taking a lot of the media interviews the last couple of weeks with the team. And maybe they're saying, you know what? 
fuck it. Why pay this guy? I could pay, I could pay Booth less than I pay anybody else or anyone else getting into position. He's going to want his first job. You know, fuck it. I'll just go forward. Our team's already built. I don't have to really, I just got to tweak the roster. This guy's a, you know, this guy's worked in the league a bunch of years. He worked under Tim. He knows what he's doing. So let's just go forward with him. It'll be interesting. I, I don't, I think Tim's going to go unless, I say it's a 30% chance that uh, ownership gives him the money. I would say that he, if, if they wanted him in Minnesota, they're going to get him. But to be honest, I would go to Denver before I go. You know, Jokic is one of the best players. He's the best player in the league right now. He's MVP, two-time MVP. Why would you leave that? You've got a good team. You've got those injuries that happen. But maybe you feel disrespected with the money. I, I mean, like I said, I've, I, I understand what he's feeling like. So... Yeah, I, I see him going unless they're going to up the money. Yeah. Come on, Denver. I think he's done a pretty good job putting that, putting that roster together and obviously drafted well with Jokic and whatnot as well. So, yeah, get it done. Anyway, sad day for you, Pro. Apparently, Mo Bamba wants to leave Orlando in free agency. Oh, uh, shocker. Just thought I'd put it out shocker. there because you're, you're a big Mo Bamba <laughs> fan, but apparently he's he's going to look elsewhere. Um I mean, nothing in that really to discuss. Just that, other than you're a super fan of Mo Bamba. Uh, no Bamba, yes, uh, no Bamba. But yeah, look, I mean, he—I'll give it to him. He's done a lot better than I thought he was going to do. He—he he, he got a little bit better, especially under Jamal Mosley. He did a good job. But look, writing on the wall, like they got—they got the number one pick. They're going to probably go with either Jabari Smith or someone at his position. He wants to be a starter. He probably thinks he's an, you know, and he probably thinks he's an elite NBA player, an all-star. And he th- he's probably going to say that they're going to draft someone in his position. Why do it? You know, I mean, good luck to you, bud. But sometimes the grass isn't greener on the other side. You got this young coach that might believe in you. Maybe he doesn't. Who knows? I, I'm not there. So who knows? And uh, go fucking Mo Bamba. Go Mo. Go Mo. go Mo. All right. NBL free agency has opened already, pro. And okay. uh, we've already got teams poaching our players, so shocker. Yeah, we win a championship, and that's what happens. But we've, we're, we're going to we, we, we've lost Wani Swakalobo. Look has gone to Illawarra after locking down um, Tyler Harvey in the in the semifinals. They've decided to bring him in. Um, <laughs> so it's, maybe it's the old adage of we'll bring in the guy that locks up our best player and not even play him and just get him away from Sydney. But uh, no, good luck to him. He, he was fantastic for us and uh, a young kid that. Hadn't really been given a good opportunity in the league. We gave him that opportunity, and we're happy to see him go and go and earn some money that we obviously just couldn't afford to pay. Um, so he's done a done a fantastic job picking up that contract, and and uh, I think there's a few other guys in the coming days that'll that are negotiating some pretty big deals elsewhere. So hopefully we can keep most of our team together, pro. But that's that's the perils of winning a championship, right? You, you win a championship, you're going to have people know you know, kind of where our cap is roughly and they're going to put offers out there knowing that it's going to be hard for us to, to go that much higher unless we want to go severely over the cap and that's just something you have to deal with. So um, you can't hate on that. That's part of the business. It's a sad part of the business for both sides but you want you obviously want players to be able to make more money than they can in their current situation just like we spoke about with Connolly, with, with coaches and staff members. Um, but at the same time, you want to try and bring players back so it's, a, it's going to be an interesting... Um, few at least month in in free agency there's a lot going on so that's how that goes but your your guy Scott Roth has re-signed for three years pro um, there were some break the hammer Valentine <laughs> yeah there were and that's a very good picture too so if you haven't seen that uh, we both <laughs> reposted it a, a look alike a doppelganger for Scott Roth but there were some rumors that he might be on the way out he's had a rough 
couple of years with COVID being stuck here, hasn't had his family in. So I heard I heard those rumors a, a little while ago and spoke about it on the pod. But I I'm, I was wrong. The rumor is wrong. So he's re up for three years. Um, the Jack Jumpers, which I think is still Larry Kesselman as, as the owner, has uh, got the wallet out and made sure like that. That was a no brainer. If he wanted to stay, you had to you had to lock him in long term. So. That's a, a great move for the Jack Jumpers Pro. We get to have more of those great wild celebrations in Tassie. I fucking love it. But look, you know, going back to your point about the player, your players getting poached a little bit. And look, everybody wants winners, right? And you're not going to get, usually, you're not going to get the best player. You're not going to get the second best player. You're going to keep on getting down, like going down the list until you can get winning players. All teams want, you know, players from winning teams. They can't get the head coach usually, so they get the, the head assistant or the second assistant. Like they they try to poach. They everybody thinks it's a special formula and a secret sauce on w- winning teams. Now with Scott Ross situation, look, you know, with those rumors, I'm sure those rumors are a little bit true. But if you're an owner and being like, look, sit down with Scott because look, he took you there. Yes, your players did, but he did a great job for you. Like you sit down and say, Scott, look, you might. I, I know the family thing's hard. What can we do? Instead of just like, you know, instead of just sort of flying at 30,000 feet and looking at the situation, you go to him directly and you go, Scott, what can we do to keep you here? Like, what is it going to take? Yes, financially, but like, what are the other things that we can do to make your job easy? That's how you keep an acquire, you keep your talent. Unless it's going to be like Tim Conway that takes a lot more money. But like, if it's close and you don't want to lose somebody as a staff or a player, what can we do to make you want to stay? And then you follow through with those promises. I'm glad he's staying. He's a hell of a fucking coach. He's a madman for sure, but he's a hell of a fucking coach. And I'm a huge fan of Greg the Hammer Valentine, internet, um, intercontinental champion of WWF in the 80s. And he's got a fucking great <laughs> scowl. So I'm a big Jack Jumper fan. You know, I'm, you know, I'm again, I'm like 50.1% Sydney, 49.9 Jack Jumper. So that's, that's what Shit, I, I, I mean, I've said if, if I wasn't if I was an owner of the Sydney Kings and the Sydney Kings weren't in the finals, I would have been going for the Jack Jumpers. I get it. I totally get it. Like it was a great story and great. It's just great to have him back and continue to build that club into. I think the fans love him there. The people love him there. The first year was out of this world, but problem is now they've set a high bar, pro. So yeah, they, yeah, they do. <laughs> when you start yeah, off, they that, do. when you start off that well, sometimes he's like, let's just. Let's get top five and then work out. They, they they went to the grand final, the big dance in their first year, so they'd want to win it next year or be some disappointed fans. All right, moving on. Stats, useful or useless. Luka Doncic in elimination games, win or lose, 39-9-9, 46-7-14, ah. 33-11-8, 35-10-4. He's 38.3 PPG, is the highest in NBA history. Useful or useless, bro? Useful. The guy's a fucking juggernaut, and he's probably going to end up being one of the top five players of the history of our game. Ooh, history. Yeah. What about I Bob mean, Cousy, look, though? Look, all right, well, <laughs> he'll move a little bit down the list. He'll, he'll move, instead of playing against plumbers in 40 years, he'll play against internet internet tycoons. But um, I think, look, if, if he's got longevity in the game, you know, God forbid with injury and things like that, but, like, if he keeps on this pace – and he could keep this thing up for another 10, 12, 13 years, that, like, why wouldn't he become one of the best players of all time? And the guy's a juggernaut. He's coming right at you. He can beat you in a million different ways. Great fucking kid. He's a smart player. 
He's a fucking genius when it comes to the game. I mean, he's really good. He's got his weaknesses with defense, and hopefully he can keep his weight down throughout his career. But the fucking guy is a monster that nobody really seen coming besides him, his family, and maybe his agent. Yeah, his numbers, the numbers don't lie. They're insane numbers, especially in closeout games when I'll lose um, to show up in those those big moments. Huge. All right. So Jerry West remains the only player in NBA history to have what pro? Uh, the logo, of course. Yes, that's one thing actually. But no, he's the only player to ever have his, his name on the front and back of his jersey. Did you know that, pro? I did not know that. In the in the West All Star game. Oh fuck. <laughs> Who the fuck gave you that one? It's a good now, one, right? I, I apologize if it's a close friend or family member, but <laughs> anybody else who gave you that, I'm gonna go fucking ballistic on that. <laughs> we gotta have a useless one. We have too many usefuls. We've got to chuck a useless one in there. But yeah, he's the only only guy pro NBA history to have West on the front and back of his jersey. It's just an amazing time, pro. All right. I know where that one sits with you. I don't need it. All right. Davis Bertans took 42 three-pointers before attempting his first two-pointer this playoffs. Not making, attempting. Useful or useless? Right. Useful. <laughs> Fucking Jake Kidd's got to drop some post-up plays for that mother. That, 42 that threes before he took even one shot inside the three. He knows his fucking role, though. I'll tell you that much. Hey, Bogues, you got you to gotta go look up the, uh, the movie. It's in the 80s with Tom Hanks, The Burbs. You gotta look it up. He, he looks it? just like that. <laughs> he looks like the, yeah. His face, that face with that beard. It's like this. Oh, no offense to him, but just the movie. It's like this white trash fucking weirdo family that lives next to the fucking Tom Hanks. This guy looks just like fucking Bertans. He's got the beard, the fucking weird face, the little bean head. Yeah, for sure. You gotta look at that guy up. Uh, J Kid needs to drop some more post up plays for Bertans if he's only gonna get one two point attempt. It's Porzingis 2.0. What you got? Fact or fake news? All right, let's go, Bogues. Bob Cousy would be a top 50 player in today's game. Now, Bar- now let me set the rules. He grew up in the, bas- in the high school, college system. He didn't go to Holy Cross. Say he went to North Carolina. He had all the coaching, all the trainers, all the IG guys with the tennis balls <laughs> and the cones. He had all this shit. You know, all this stuff. He wore skinny jeans instead of real clothes. You know, all that stuff growing up in this era and not the one that he grew up in. Is he a top 50 player in today's game? Top oh, we thought, now, we thought the rules said, I mean, most likely, but uh, who, who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah. You know, how long is a piece of string? Like, it's if, if you were saying bring him from his era today, no, he wouldn't be. But with all those right. prerequisites, yeah, I mean, yeah. he's got it. He'd have a chance to. But I, I can't even answer that one. I, I, I don't even know how to answer oh, that. Wow. One. I can't answer it. Wow. I can't because it's just. It, I, I mean, it's okay. No, I'm not sitting. On, you, I'm, not sitting I'm not sitting on the fence. I just it's it's like saying the same thing about you know uh, a, a young kid who's from a talented family of athletes that weren't professionals. You give him all that training, will he make it? He's got a higher chance of making it than a kid that doesn't have that. But then explain the the outliers of kids that grew up in rough areas that don't have any of that shit still make it, you know? So, I mean, it's a hard one to answer, but I think if you, if you wouldn't have set the, the long list of prerequisites, I would say uh, <coughs> fake news, he wouldn't be top 50 in today's game of all the players today. Okay. But um, with all okay. those prerequisites, it's like, who knows? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, 
I'm going to say yes, but that's just me. I'm going to say that he would. Again, because I just got to assume that, I mean, every player, don't care how rich or poor or where you come from, where you play from in today's society, that like if you're really good, if, if Bob Cousy grew up being not like the like the best player in the country, but like if he grew up like an elite top 10 player at his position in the country, that an AU team would find him, a shoe company would find him, an agent would find him, and he would get, you know, he would get higher level coaching and training. But like, that's the thing though, folks, in my opinion, and, I, and I'll drop it after one sentence that like, if you're going to say you you got to drop the player, you can't just drop him from yesteryear and say, all right, you know, you can't just drop and say, okay, how, how he played in those highlight films. He's going to play today. He won't play like that. He's going to play in today. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, I, I would have him in the top 50 based on his competitiveness his IQ for the game and his ability to pass the ball and get in the paint. And he just, a a, a fucking, you know, I think adapting is, is correct. Like I think your point around if he's with that elite mindset and mentality of being a pro athlete, even back then in today's, you know, era, he would emphasize more, Hey, I need to have a three ball. I need to, I, I, I totally agree with that. Like they, you know, yeah. it's like when we talk about, Oh, well, could KG play in this era? Cause he didn't have a three ball. Well, yeah, because he would have emphasized it more in his off-season workouts. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Yeah, so I totally agree with that. But yeah, it's, it's a hard one. It's uh, I hate the era shit. So don't ever put that oh, yeah. these era questions in there again. Next one. Well, don't fuck it. Don't don't put it in the fucking in the notes on the other thing with the fucking JJ versus Kuzi <laughs> Plummer question, asshole. <laughs> All, right. All right, second. Nah, I'm just joking. You know that. All right, after watching the playoffs, would you take? you would take Luca over Giannis. Watch it now. What you know about both players, you've seen them both for years now. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in what they've done in the playoffs. You know, I know, I know Giannis lost. Doesn't matter. It's not a big deal yeah, with that. Yeah. But like, I think just today, performance was. I think performance wise and numbers wise, you prob- I think it's closer than than what, what you think. I think it's still very, very close. I don't think yeah. you'd go wrong either way. Based on mm-hmm. today and, and the way Luke is playing, I'd take Luca and I think it's probably out of sight, out of mind. He's still playing. Mm-hmm. He's still playing very well. But, you know, Giannis's numbers are also insane. Um, but I think no I think Luca's probably more of a pretty style of game as well. Like, you know, just the way he scores, you know, he's got so much in his bag. He can, you know, step back threes. He can cross you over. He's Shit, they posted him up last game. They were posting up. And he's he's posted up big three men <laughs> and putting him Folks, in the paint. That's the thing. Like it's, when we had him as a when we had him as a rookie, that was the thing. Look, he was always one of the better floater guys in the world, as it is. But like I thought, the one thing that he could do that I thought we should do more of is get him in the post because you know same thing with LeBron posting up early in his career. Pass. When you have the vision mm. that those guys have, like the vision, the size, the ability to score, like Luca. He's be- he's way better than in my opinion. I don't care what what stage of LeBron's career versus Luca's career. Last second need a shot. I'm going with I'm going with Luca over LeBron in my opinion. Luca just has the I'm not saying talent and all that stuff. I'm saying the ability to make a tough shot. Like that guy can make any type of shot over any type of defender on any given possession, not every time, but I trust that guy to, to just get a shot. And if he gets a shot off, I don't give a fuck if it's from half court behind the basket in the third row, 
that fucking guy's going to have a chance to go in. So anyways, I thought he should have posted up much more his rookie year, like because he could pass the ball, he could score over anybody. You're trying to switch on the guy. It's a fucking joke. Any other point guard, he'll just take you in the post because he was, you know, he was heavy. He wasn't as strong, but he was, the motherfucker was heavy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's, you know, he, he's a big dude. So you're, so, fact, you're but, facting over Giannis, right? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. because he controls the ball. Like in today's game, I think if you have an elite player that can handle the ball, and that's why I think he's a little bit I, I, I would take him over Durant. I would take him over Jokic. Not those guys are great and it's very close. But when you could control the ball like that and you could go and pick and roll and you can bring the ball up and you can do all that, plus you can play off the ball and post up, that you'll have more impact in the game than those other guys will. Yep. Yeah, I understand. I think I'd I'd edge with Luca right now. Um, I think, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I think you definitely can't disrespect Giannis and what he's done. No, oh fuck no, 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 no. They're mm-hmm. they're very close. Yeah, very close. Top five in my opinion is very close. All right, folks. Last one. Now we're talking about Dallas, and there's a lot of there's a lot of emphasis on the amount of threes they took, especially in that third quarter last game. I think they've taken something like 95 threes in the first two games. Okay, so that being said, if you're running the show for Dallas, Dallas should take less than 43-point shots a night to have a, a better chance of beating um, of beating Golden State. Then, or would you go with the high 40s, early 50s, you know, attempt-wise for them going forward in the series? Well, though, I looked it up. They shot 48 attempts in game one and 45 last game. Um, 93, yep. Yep. So, so like, their average is 46, 47. Yep, yep. Um, they, and the, they shot 46% last game, 21 for 45. The problem was they, they – sh- I don't know what they were in the first half, but it was above 50, 60%, and they were shooting the piss out of it, and they went dry. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I'm not, I'm not big on – you know, I know our friend H-Bob, and he's, he's big on a certain number of three-point attempts per game. I'm more – Take what the defense gives you at times. Um, mm-hmm. So if you're a role, if you're Bertans and that's your thing, your feet set, you're wide open, you let that thing fly. But just to get them yep. up, to get them up at all costs, I'd, I'd still, you know, I, I think there's still times where you can get get a paint touch or attack the paint mm-hmm. and maybe maybe even attack the paint that one more time and go swing, swing for an open three. So right. I think it's a high number, but that's that's what's had given them success throughout the year. Like they have those nights where they – you know, arguably they should have won game two and they just completely dried up. But I mean, should they take less than 40? I'll just say fake news based on take what the defense gives you for the most part. I think, I think a good number is around the 40s, but I'd, I'd edge over it. I think to beat Golden State, they're going to, they're going to need to shoot the ball well from three. So they're going to have to shoot a lot more threes. Um, not that they're shooting now. I think they have to shoot in the 40s to, 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 to the mid forties to late forties in attempts, they just got to shoot it at a better clip. They got to they got to they got to be which they did last game. <laughs> they still lost. I'm still scratching my head. They shot forty six percent from three on a shitload of attempts and lost. But I definitely who else are you who else is getting the paint for them though, bro? That's a thing. Like Luca, Luca's one. Bullock's not that guy. Finney Smith, okay. Do do you completely trust him trying to create and get into the paint? I'd trust him more shooting the feet set three. Um, mm-hmm. Batans, hell no. Kleber, mm-hmm. I want him shooting that three. So it's like, who else? You know, Dinwiddie's probably the only guy. You, and Brunson. Dinwiddie, Brunson, and Luke are the only three guys I'd say, okay, like, you, but then other than that, the rest are feet set type guys, right? So I'd probably skew them more. I'd be comfortable in the 40s for threes then, bro. 
Yeah, I'd say fake news as well. Like I thought about it and I was like trying to play the numbers like, all right, so if you took 39 threes, right? Because I'm not a I'm not a fan of like taking 12 threes, a three-point shot. I don't know. I know the value of a three. I get it. But um I, I think I, I'm with you. I'm just gonna try to refine shot selection and be like, look, like stop the contested three, especially early shot clock. You know, let's get let's move the ball, let's try to roll hard to the rim. If we can get in the paint, great. But I mean, if if we're if we're moving the ball, we're penetrating and kicking to the corners or penetrate and kick into the wing, you know, and then swing, swing for threes, we're good with that. And if we if we end up taking 45, it's great. I'm not, I'm not with the whole, we got to take 55, 63s, whatever. This is not a number for me. Like I'm with you. Like I'm taking high quality and I don't really mm. care. Yeah. Some games I'm, it might I'm be 50, some games it might be 30, right? Yeah. A question for you then. Yes. So then do you, what do you say if Luca dribbles down and shoots a step back three early in the shot clock? <laughs> you know, like. I'm, I'm saying, contested. I'm saying take, take whatever the fuck you want to take. That's the thing, right? That's where you did the analytics go out the window. Sometimes even your coaching philosophy, like, Hey, we, we want to give up, you know, the whole philosophy of give up a good shot to get a great shot, which is what every NBA coach preaches. But no, I'd rather have Luca take the good shot than give it up to a guy who, you know, <laughs> to get a great yeah. shot. So that's where it's yeah. tough. But with Luke, with Luca to me, it's like shot selection. Hey, take whatever the fucking shot you want. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to continue to be in great shape. I want you to leave the fucking referees alone and just sort of not let that bother you. And then I just want you to fucking, I want you to give it a little more effort on the defensive side. Which he has a little bit. He has, he has the, yeah. the tail end of that. Once they, once it became a media thing, where the infamous yeah. 2-0 for Phoenix, Devin Booker, Chris Paul were asked, are you guys targeting Luka Doncic? And they smirked and then lost the series. That's when it shifted. I think it just lit a fire under him a little bit. To, and he doesn't need to be elite. And he can't, I don't think he can be elite because he's, he's no. so much usage at the offensive end. He's not going to have any legs left. But I think sure. he got to a point where he was, he was consistent and average and just, just, be a live body and make him make a tough shot. You don't need to lock the world down. You don't need to, you know, be Dennis Rodman or, you know, whatever, Draymond Green. Just just be solid. And I think he's done that. He's taken that 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 next step where he's like, I need to be at a better level in the playoffs. I need to – it's kind of what we asked of Jason Tatum the last three years, right? He's finally done that. Mm-hmm. He's been a consistent defender now where you're like, we can't just blatantly pick on you because you're going to get lost, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I totally agree. Just quickly, it's 62-47 at the half – for oh, Miami, shit. they squandered a bit of a lead. They, they were up by 20-something. Uh, um, Boston made a little late run and Jason Tatum hit a three on the on the halftime buzzer to get it back to a respectable 15. So they're still in the game. Could have been much uglier, um, but not looking not looking great for, for the Boston Celtics in Boston, Pro. I wonder if they can bring it back. We'll see. But that wraps up this pod, Pro. So appreciate it. Thanks, everyone, for the support as usual. You know who we are. You know... Go get what? Fruity Pebbles. Go get, get yourself a box of Fruity Pebbles with the Nike logo on it. Yeah, we might get some hate mail from from old Cambridge now because of you, but we'll see how we go. Eh, yeah. She's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. I, and you are a white man too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think she'll... You, you, you think she'll put me in that class with that coach that she made fun of? That's what I'm saying. Of, uh, That's what I'm saying. You're 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 just another white man, like another white man criticizing her. So, but you've got the weight to criticize her, right? Who was criticizing? Well, look, as a fellow as a fellow big bone person, I can make fun of her like that because I'm you know I'm I'm in that ca- I'm in that category, so I'm good. All right, bro. See you hey. next week. See you next week.